Welcome to this week's episode. My name's Sarinda. I'm a military gal and host, and you are listening to The Good Show. This week, we are still in Colorado Springs at the Space Symposium, and today I'm talking to Jason Shoffett, 20-year Air Force retired veteran. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> it is wonderful today. Good, good. Now, listen, we had a brief conversation last night. Yes. Um, and so... And you, you made some really interesting points about the Air Force and your career within the Air Force. So that's what I want to talk to you about. Before we delve right into that, tell me a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, and what led you towards a military career. Well, I actually was born in the Philippines due to my father being in the Air Force. And then we, uh, after he got out in 70, I think it was? No, uh, 79. We stayed, we actually were living in Aurora at the time, just uh, up north of here. And we stayed there for a few more years. We ended up moving to Texas in uh, 1984. Uh From there, we uh, just stayed in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for the next uh, 35 years until I retired from the military after 20 years of bouncing around the military myself. But what caused me to join the military was I needed more direction in life. And after graduating high school, doing college for a little bit, I just realized um, bouncing job to job just wasn't going to work. Were you a wild child? Actually, no. I didn't, I didn't grow my wildness until I got to college. <laughs> <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> Very. <laughs> so while your dad was in the Air Force, um, at what point did you realize he was in the Air Force? I really didn't have a chance because I was very young. So I was actually born in 77. He got out two years later. Okay. And then after that, he was in the oil business. Okay. So. Did he ever speak about his Air Force career? On occasion, if I, have, if I ever asked okay. or if he was around my grandfather. Okay. So knowing that he was in the Air Force, do you think that played a big part in, apart from the fact that you felt that, you know, you, you needed, you know, a little bit of structure? Did that play a part in your decision rather than going to the other branches? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, just like a lot of parents, I mean, that have been in the other branches, they tell their kids, don't go here. <laughs> <laughs> don't go Army or Marines. <laughs> and I speak from experience on that because I've known several parents that have told their kids, go Air Force or now Space Force too. Yeah. So, Or, uh, I mean, at worst case, the Navy. <laughs> 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 I'm sure there's a lot of people out there with a lot of thoughts on those statements. <laughs> I'm sure there are. So how old were you when you joined the Air Force? I was uh, freshly 21. So. Freshly 21. <laughs> now, do you remember the day that you went down to the recruiter's office and you said, okay, I'm joining and I signed on the dotted line? Uh, actually, it took several trips down to the recruiter's office to poach them for more information to make sure that they weren't trying to BS me. Okay. Uh, like they were, but luckily I had some uh, firepower going in with my father being a veteran, grandfather being a retired colonel, and several other family members were like, this is what you need to watch out for. Now, did you tell them that, okay, listen, I've had family members that have yep. been, yep, okay, so don't BS me? Yep. Okay. They still did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, so you sign on the dotted line. You kind of have some idea about your yeah. your training, obviously, from your dad and grandfather. How did your mom take it? 
She was excited. She was, I think, more excited for the fact that I was going to have some kind of structure. Uh-huh. But just like a lot of, just like a lot of moms, or baby boy was going to be leaving. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you have siblings? I have a sister. You have a sister. Yes. Did she follow in um, the service realm? No. 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 Okay. Um, so you signed on the dotted line. You're going through to your training. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you're thinking. How you're feeling. How's this training? Are you feeling confident about it? I thought overall the training was, well, to put it plainly, easy. Okay. Um, obviously, it was stressful at moments and stuff because you're away from your family, you're away from your loved ones for the first, for some people for the first time. But overall, I didn't. I mean, I was I was just enjoying it because it, it was explained to me. Just remember, it's only a game. Yeah. That's it. So where where did you go uh, for training? Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. And how long did your training last? Uh, at the time, it was six and a half weeks. Okay. And PT classes, all of that good stuff rolling? Yes. Yes. Uh, show up after you leave the MEP station, which is uh, the processing station where I, I went in Dallas. Uh-huh. Uh, get on the bus, go to the airport, fly to San Antonio, get off the airplane. You have military members guiding you where to go. And then all of a sudden you're being told to get on a bus and then, then they're, they start yelling at you. Okay. <laughs> so, sounds good. Um, so when you get to your place, your your base, yes. Um, what happens when you pull in? Are you obviously told where you have to go? What's the, what are the things you do? Oh, good Lord, you're stretching my memory on this one. <laughs> uh, I remember standing there in some of the... I mean, I look like a bum. I look like literally somebody that was just washed off the beach in tattered, tattered shorts, a tattered T-shirt, duct-taped sandals. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I look, I look like I fit the part. And I think I actually think I remember one of the training instructors, one of the DIs, actually came up to me and stated, like, what, would you just come off the beach? And I was like, mm, sir, yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just did, actually. Um, so the, that's where you're living for what period of time? So San Antonio was, as I said, six and a half weeks. We get an opportunity to, during our time there with all the PT, uh, learning how to eat everything with a spoon as fast as you can, because it's sit eating, get out, and all the other classes that you have to take, you also get a chance to go and fill out what we what they like to refer to as your dream sheet, because that's exactly what you're, dream, you're doing. Okay. It's like, this is, you're gonna dream about where you wanna go. Probably won't get it. What was your dream? My so I was very fortunate with mine. I had for the first my first three assigned bases. I actually had. Uh, let me rephrase that. My first two, I had my number three choice. Okay. So I wanted uh, heavy aircraft engines, and I was fortunate that I had a locked-in job when I first came in. So I got heavy aircraft engines, and then after um, my tech school at Shepard. Shepard Air Force Base, Texas. I went, after three and a half months, I went up to McCord uh, Air Force Base in Washington. Now, when you say heavy aircraft engines, you, what are you doing with them? I'm a jet engine mechanic. Okay. Yeah. So you had de- you decided that that was the route you wanted to take? Uh, that was, it was based on the ASVAB, which okay. um Virtually everybody has to take at, at some point in their life. They it's like a placement test. Okay. 
where they said, based on your scores, you would be really good in this career field. Now, does that ever happen where they say, okay, you'd be really good in this field, and the individual turns around and goes, yeah, but that's not what I want to do? Yes, on a regular basis. And then what happened? What so they, they, I mean, I'm not sure how they do it now. At least at the time, you, you, you sort of had an opportunity to say, I mean, to say really what you would like to do. Yeah. Or you had the misfortune of coming in, if you didn't pick a career field, due to whatever reasons, they yeah. would put you in what they called open general. Okay. And typically those individuals ended up being security forces. Okay. And okay. We... I mean, maintenance and security forces, aircraft maintenance, security forces always, they got along really well. Wow, okay. And I do mean air quotes on that. <laughs> <laughs> now, aircraft maintenance, it seems self-explanatory. Yes. So you're just looking at, you're looking after the engines, so once they go up, all is good. Yes. How do they test that the, how do you test that the engine's good before you take off? Crank it up, just like a car. And you just know by the sound, or how do you know? How do you test it? Uh, like I said, you literally just crank. You, you, you crank the engine, test if you had to change a component, you make sure it doesn't leak. And just on my first jet, I worked C-17, so most everything was digital on it. So we could literally just watch the gauges and check the computers to make sure everything was functioning as, uh, as advertised for the manufacturer's specifications. And then we went on to once everything was uh, ops checked, sign it off in the, in the aircraft forms, and we're good to go. Do you remember the, the first time you went abroad? Yes. Where did you go? So overseas actually was right after, actually my very first trip in the Air Force, I, was, I got very fortunate with this one. I got to go to uh, Hickam oh. out, out in Hawaii. Okay. And I had a blast on that trip. One day, one massive 18-hour day of work, but they, uh, the Air Force said, hey, you, we've got you here for X number of days, so enjoy the, enjoy the time off. That's nice. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> I think that's the first time. That almost sounds like a, a, a flight attendant schedule. You know, you're flying from point A to point B. When you get there, you've got 72 hours off before you have to fly back. Mm -hmm. So that, 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 yeah, that sounds good. Now, at, apart from Hawaii, where else did you go abroad? Uh, stateside, I went to quite a few locations, but overseas, I, from that base, I went to Germany. I went to Germany for three months when uh, Afghanistan kicked off, and I know a lot of people hear Germany and they're like, "Oh, that wasn't a deployment." Well, when you're doing twelve to sixteen-hour days and trying to sleep somewhere in between all that, then yeah, it's a deployment. You're not getting time to go into town. You're not getting time to go in and just have fun. Yeah, and there's drink no, a, drink all the time. There's no R and R. There was. They started incorporating it after after a little while because they noticed people were starting to get burnout fast. Yeah. And I mean, because you can only do so many twelve to fourteen, twelve to sixteen hour days in a yeah. row before you're just going to crash. Yeah. So they started incorporating the the occasional day off where this typical military you you work hard you play hard. Yeah. Going back to your class um, when you went through training, do you remember how many people were in that class? I think we had at least ten. Oh well, are you talking about basic or basic. tech school? Oh God, uh, 
to include the female flight, I think we had about 70 total. How many made it? All. Well, actually, all but, I think, three, because we had three that had medical issues. Okay. Now, if you went through, because I spoke to um, somebody earlier on last week, they at their time frame when they went through, you went through basic training, and uh, you did a, I think you did a year, and then if it was not for you, you could still kind of, like, get out. Was that the situation for you? Nope. No. Nope. So once you're in, you've signed on the dotted line, you're in? For the most part, for, yes. Yeah. For okay. the most part, yes, unless something medically happens or you just do something really, really dumb. Tell me about how you worked your way up through the hierarchy um, in the Air Force. So for me, that was a little bit more difficult because I'm the type of individual that has a tendency to speak their mind, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's... I did very well when it came to actually running certain things the way that I that I knew that they needed to be run. Typically, following 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 what the regulations would state, and I would, as I started making more rank, I became a lot better, obviously, at what I did. But after a while, after going from McCord in Washington State to RAF Mildenhall in the UK for four years. I got put into a lot of uh, back, uh, like support jobs. Yeah. Where I know people look at uh, where the office I worked in was tool crib. They look at it as this is hey, we put the uh, the bad boys back here. I kind of volunteered to go back. Okay. Yeah. Well, because I knew that turning wrenches wasn't. I mean, it, it's as enjoyable as it was. I just didn't enjoy the politics of it. Okay. So I would volunteer to do certain jobs to better my career in the long run, give me management skills, give me supervisory skills, give me all these things that I wasn't really doing by just turning a wrench. Okay. I was, but I wasn't full time. And then after that, I got to Shepard Air Force Base, actually where I went to tech school, came back to it and taught for, taught gen engines for four and a half years. Wow. Turns out my, after listening to my mother, love and hate teaching for 30 years uh-huh. I ended up loving it oh wow but yeah. I would never ever teach public school no <laughs> no no I can, I can pa- yeah. pa- parents and I would never get along <laughs> and you know something because I'm sitting opposite you uh, and don't take this in a bad way but we're a lot alike that way and, and, and I wouldn't be a good teacher because parents would be like hey surrender you know, that, no, that you can't say that to me, or that's not right. It's like no. Well, my my favorite line is is if ever asked the question, why is my son or daughter failing? Well, because you're screwing them over at home. Yeah. I mean, your son or daughter is an idiot because you're not helping them. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of like inside voice I know many teachers probably have in this. Oh day yes. Day. Yeah. Oh yes. But they just don't say. No, I've known lots of teachers, and they want to say those things. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to England. You were there for four and a half years. Uh, four years. Four, four years. years in England. Uh, four and a half at Shepherd. Okay. Now, how did you like England? I wish I'd never left. Really? Yes. Okay. What was? What did you like about it? I liked the culture. I loved. I loved the people. Actually, let me rephrase it. I love the culture. I love the people. I love all of Europe. Mm-hmm. I love the lifestyle. I love the slower pace. I love the fact that. I don't know. I just, I mean, I love 
America. I, I love everything that's that, that is being an American and all that. It's just I didn't realize what the rest of the world had to offer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I did because my mother was a history and geography teacher, but I didn't really realize it until I can go see some of these things yeah. and experience exactly. some of these other cultures. See, that, that's to me, I guess because I was born in Britain, you kind of take it for granted where you're born. Yes. Um, and for me, I always felt like I was geographically born in the wrong place, that I should have been born stateside. <laughs> so for me, I was like, yeah, I, I need to exit, um, albeit via the Middle East, yes. um, you know, to get to the place where I feel I belong, you know, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, yeah, I mean... I, I, I get what you're saying. What about the weather, though? The weather's so shitty back home. Well, so the pro so the thing was is I spent three years, I mean, just shy of three years in basically Seattle, Washington. Okay. So the weather there is shitty there, as everybody says. <laughs> and with all the rain and clouds and all that, I didn't really have a problem. Yeah. Plus, I was working nights most of my, um, the first half of my career anyways. So it was dark no matter what. Yeah. So I had no issue. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't until I got back to the States uh -huh. that I had problem. Oh. So I went from darkness regularly and then all of a sudden I have basically a month of leave between starting class for learning how to be a like an uh, in, in, in resident instructor and I'm exposed to all this sunlight now. Yeah. And my body crashed. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. So everybody that has the effects of sad yes. due to cloudy weather, I had the opposite due to sunny weather. See, now, I remember when they came out with the SAD acronym, Seasonal Adjustment Disorder, mm -hmm. and I remember my brother going to my dad and going, see, I've got Seasonal Adjustment Disorder. <laughs> and my dad was like, yeah, I'll give you Seasonal Adjustment Disorder. <laughs> you know, he's just like, suck it up. Um, so... Sorry, when you came back stateside, where did you uh, go to work? Which base? Shepherd. Shepherd. And that's where you were teaching? Yes. First day teaching, how many students have you got? Uh, so I actually had nine, nine, nine to 11, I think it was, because I was teaching the first year, I was a little over a year, I was teaching the fundamentals of jet engines. Okay. And once I, once I picked it up, I had a blast with that class. Oh, good. Absolute blast. The students were good? Oh, for the most part. I only had one class that really ever caused me any issues, and I had fun with them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like to, unfortunately, accredit myself to some of the rules that were implemented uh, in the schoolhouse were because of me. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, but if I had to guess. <laughs> now, after your teaching, what, what did what happened? What, where did you go in your career after teaching? So I went from Shepherd, where I got to hang out with a lot of pilots and all that, because Shepherd also houses the NJET program, which is a big NATO pilot program. And I had several of them that I still chat with on occasion due to social media that actually got me interested in the RPA world. What's the RPA world? Uh, remotely, remotely piloted aircraft, or drones as okay. the uh, civilians like to call them, where they put a bug in my ear that I really wanted to start exploring, but all of a sudden I have orders to Moody Air Force Base in southern Georgia, okay. where I went from teaching jet engines to 
being a what uh, going back shop on the, on the engine uh, in the engine gen engine back shop where they do all the teardowns of the a10 engine for this particular base so, so when you say tear down what are you taking them apart what are you doing fully them? take them apart why are you taking them apart do uh, we have to check to make sure that compressor blade I mean that all the blades inside the engine all the components on the inside not just on the outside are actually within specifications you know, it's, it's the easiest way to describe it for somebody to do what you did in the Air Force how have you got to be technically savvy I mean because uh, no, it's not for everybody you know the precision of taking apart an engine kind of, what do you have to be good at in order to be able to do what you did so it depends I mean just like everything in life it depends on the person and their personality and also just are you willing to be in a career where you're going to get eaten alive? Because in aircraft maintenance, we eat our own. Okay. <laughs> and I actually had a lot of really good students that had zero mechanical skills. Okay. They knew what a screwdriver was, and that was it when they first, when they first came to my classes. And some of them are still in, and I've actually heard from several that have said, you know what, thank you for all that you did. Which is for a teacher is a really yeah. good thing to hear. Yeah. And yes, I will toot my own horn on that one. <laughs> but I've also had some that had a lot of mechanical abilities, and you got to break some habits. Okay. Because they're like, well, this is, I mean, I can do it like this. It's like, okay, yeah, you can, but you do it, here's the consequences. Yeah. You're like, oh. <laughs> With your strong personality, um, an outspokenness. Did you ever have a run-in with a higher-up? No, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a few times. <laughs> so okay. Oh. Yeah, I had, a, I had a few run-ins with higher-ups. I, like I said, when it came to the schoolhouse, so I taught my class very collegiate, mm -hmm. and. Others, other instructors did not. They, they chose to go another route. When I taught my class, I started it out with, all right, you have your books in front of you. Here's, here's how this class will go. You will read the, all these chapters that mm -hmm. I assign, and the next day you're going to answer all the questions that are in there. You're going to present them to me. You're going to have them on my desk. If they're not legible, then I'm going to shred them, and you're going to do it all over again the, uh, the, uh, the next night, plus all that night's assignments. Mm -hmm. And you need to read the material as well. That way you have somewhat of an understanding of what the hell I'm talking about in this fucking class. Yeah. Pardon the language. And you could see the eyes just go, oh, shit. Yeah. And some tried to test that, and it's like, okay, where's your assignment? Uh, sir, my, my dog ate it. Well, guess what? You're you're gonna do all these other things too. I'm like oh, crap. Yeah. And some some of the kids would come in after being up all night and get only like three hours of sleep, and and, and they would you could see it in their face that they were just worn out. Mm -hmm. To then, it's like okay, if you fall asleep, guess what? You have to stand up. Ooh. Oh yeah. It's like and and and. And I'd leave it up to them. It's like, hey, make sure that you stand up. Class, make sure that if you catch somebody falling asleep, you just kind of nudge them. Don't hit them, but make sure you nudge them. Well, my, my, one of my best classes, 
I had two prior Marines, uh, two prior Marine NCOs and one prior Army guy. And those two prior Marines ran that class like a, like the Marine Corps. Yeah. Because one of them was also an NYPD cop. Oh, okay. Because he's Air Force Reserve at, yeah. at the time. So this one, this one young airman had an issue where he just could not stay awake. Well, it went from, all right, stand up. Well, he was, staying, he was falling asleep standing up. Good So after, after several days of attrition, I mean, it was like, all right, put your chair over there. Go stand against the wall. Balance against the wall. Do something. Jumping. I don't care what you do. Stay awake. So I was like, you know what? Since the class is not seeming to help him, yeah. he can sit. Everybody else loses their chairs. Oh. So, I, yeah, it was yeah. it was basic corporal punishment for everybody yeah. else then he kept falling asleep yeah they lost their desks so they're standing there writing all their notes and answering test questions and everything else and doing all this and he kept falling asleep well i put him on it was uh, almost it was near the end of the two excuse me two and a half weeks i had him and i put him on break this one day and i was like hey everybody i'll see you here in about 15 minutes come and as i'm walking out the door uh felix was his name i can't remember his last name but felix was his name he's, he's holding the door for me i was like oh thank you he was like i was like y'all going on break he goes yep i was like well go on break he goes we are like, oh see ya <laughs> so <laughs> i know i'm a storyteller so i come back never had an issue with that class again the rest of the instructors along the line yeah i mean because because they, they were mine this class was mine for three and a half months so the rest of the instructors that even walked by never had an issue with this class because i found out around the end and this is and this class also stood up to leadership because there were a lot of things happening at the time yeah um because i was getting in trouble for how i was handling my class leadership was coming down on me and i'm like what's the problem yeah are they staying awake are they causing physical harm are they doing any of this they're like no where's the state i can't do this yeah like well we just don't want you doing it like then put it on i mean i didn't say this but i'm thinking put it in fucking black and white then yeah well that came out after this class left oh because i was getting i was getting written up for little things like this i mean th there were some other like personal things that were causing issues in my own life but this class also the two prior marines had issues with leadership and they got uh they got in the uh leadership space as well which that just put a big old target on me oh yeah i can imagine but i mean but they did it to support me yeah so um so now it's written into the rules yeah well at least it was when i when yeah. i left <laughs> See now, anybody listening from the Air Force, you can thank Jason Shoffit. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go to um, you served twenty years. Yes. Now your transition. Yes. Um, did you did you have a uh, retirement ceremony? Yes. Okay. Um, what do you remember? What day your retirement ceremony was on? Oh God, it was March middle of March, I think it was around the middle of March of uh, 2019. Russ would probably know the day is the day after the big cyclone bomb that hit Colorado Springs. So whatever day that was, I mean, the, the day after whatever, whenever yeah. that happened. So, but I actually had it, so I signed dotted line at the MEPS processing station in Dallas, uh -huh. had my ceremony at the same place. Okay. 
So after you have the ceremony, you you're done with the military. For the most part, okay. for the most part, I mean, I'm now a government contractor working for the Space Force. Okay. Do you, even though you went to government contracting, and I'm assuming that's right after you finish, mm -hmm. do you, what was your transition like? Did you have time to transition between those two jobs? I actually had about, I mean, I had individuals like, just take all the time that you need, do what you need to do to get your mental, your own mental health to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Because when you transition from the military, and I later have found out that you don't just leave the military and everything just stops. Mm -hmm. You are in such a mentality of, I'm in the military, I need to get, when you, especially when you start working again, I need to get all these things done right then and there. And then a lot of people are going, especially as a contractor, going, you can't do all that. Yeah. But I took four months off between leaving and May uh, starting my new my, my new career in June of 19 and I'm glad I did because I took about two months where I just I did whatever I wanted to do uh -huh. I relaxed I cleared my head took care of some things I needed to take care of mentally uh, physically emotionally spiritually I mean all the things that they teach us okay and after about two months my best friend Aaron who lives up here in Colorado Springs he worked he worked for a company that his sole job was to help, I mean, basically was to help vets find jobs. Okay. So he he knew I wanted to come up here. It was actually a kind of an epiphany when I was uh, up here for uh, in Colorado Springs for a class in February of 19. So I was like, yep, this is where I need to be. Okay. So he helped by just bombarding, bom damn, that thing's sensitive, uh, bombarding my email daily with about 13 to plus uh, jobs. Like, hey, these, these are right up your alley based on your uh, poor resume that you have right now. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to your transition, do you feel, because especially now in this landscape, people talk about transition, how the service member feels. Some service members, uh, you know, find themselves in a bit of a, a deep, dark hole, um, don't reach out for help. Uh, just feel lonely. So for some people, it becomes part of their identity and it's hard to shake. Yes. So there are a lot of individuals that will leave the service with this identity that is military. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's after a while, though, if you don't like fully, I wouldn't say fully, but put that on the on the, on the back of your brain. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, I did all these amazing things. I had all these wonderful adventures, had all this fun around the world. And also I rode the, the uh the roller coaster of fun and suck all at the same time, mm -hmm. where you now have to focus on what's happening now and ten years down the road, yeah. five, one, five, ten years down the road, and some do have a hard time with that. It took me about, I mean, to stop, <laughs> stop with a lot of the stories and just relating everything to the military. It took a, it took about a year, okay, to where they really tapered off. Okay. And I've noticed with other friends of mine that have gotten out recently that they they're, they're still rightfully so they're still stuck where their stories now that they've been out for over a year or sometimes longer their stories have really tapered off or almost we're almost gone unless we're in a crowd of veterans. Okay. So when your story so is it fair to say that when your stories are tapering off your um 
you're becoming more accept you're accepting the fact that okay I'm going into the civilian world that world now is left behind me um, and you're okay with it yes okay yes did you feel at any point during your transition that you needed any help with the transition mentally spiritually uh, yes I I did based on the fact of some of the things that I've experienced throughout my like adult life mm-hmm now, granted, the military was, you know, until my last seven years, was, wasn't was really dealing with much with combat. I was always more in a support position, being a gen engine mechanic. We make the aircraft go fly, and they drop bombs, they come home, we make the airplane fly again. Mm-hmm. And then my last seven years, I worked special operations for the Air Force doing MQ-9s or in the RPA world, and some of that really, I mean, some, not all, kind of messed me up. But that tied with some unfortunate decisions I made with some personal decisions in my life. Um, that All of it really kind of messed me up, and I needed to talk to therapists. I needed to get through. And I didn't think I had PTSD until I literally got rescreened after uh, my VA initial screening uh, when as I was getting out that they were like, yeah, you, you're showing signs of PTSD. Have you never been screened? I'm like, nope. The doctors in the Air Force said, no, you're good. You don't have PTSD. And the VA is going, no, you do. <laughs> Trust yeah. me, you do. So what were the doctors at the VA doing that maybe the doc- uh, doctors in the Air Force weren't doing for, for this th- difference of opinion? I think what the doctors in the Air Force were trying to do, because I realized at around 18... 18 and a half years, I needed to take care of myself mm-hmm. because I knew the Air Force was not. They were going to continue to they were going to continue deploying me because that's 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 their job is yeah. to fight a war. And I was coming close to the end of my career where I knew if I didn't take care of myself, nobody else was going to, and I was going to have more physical issues, more mental issues, if necessary, than I really wanted. Okay. So I started my own basically. I started my own medical evaluation board, MEB is what we call it in the military, or at least the Air Force. Okay. And that put a stop to my flying, that put a stop to a lot of things to where I could focus on going to the doctor's appointments, making sure that my mental health was taken care of, not just for the military side of it, but also for my personal life. And I think the doctors, in my opinion, were just trying to make sure that I didn't have anything completely damning. Uh-huh that would get me kicked out or basically medically retired or discharged at 19. Okay. Instead of making it to 20 and getting my full retirement. Okay. Okay. So if I'm not sure if that's the case, but that's the way it felt. Okay. So and that for that I don't mind. Yeah. The way they did it, if that's the case. Did you have any issues once you um, left the military with your VA? Or did you find that the VA process of enrollment, etc., um was smooth yes due to the fact that i so i was more fortunate fortunate unfortunate because i was going through the the medical evaluation board okay so most of my va was taken care of for me before i got out okay and now i do know others that have lots of questions i'm even still asking lots of questions because like the current condition my father's in and i'm still finding more information i'm going holy crap yeah where do we learn this yeah. <laughs> so yeah. 
and but others do get out and they have a lot of issues because they may only get say a 30 percent rating i was very fortunate due to being broken and the doctors would ask me, like so where where all you feel broken and i'm like i can sing the song for you they're like song i'm like head shoulders knees and toes knees and toes <laughs> And they, they would do the same thing, but I'm and they're like seriously. I'm like yeah. So others do get out. I mean, I got out with ninety percent and fought to get the last ten. Now I'm now sitting at a hundred, yeah. but others don't have that. And like my boss that I work for, my government boss that I work for in my office, he and also my best friend, they both were rated at I think thirty starting out. And they've gone years in f fighting the VA where they've had to present medical records and statements of, I mean, just written documents from friends that have known them during all this time and do a lot of legwork to get the rating that they, they should have been getting. Yeah, I've heard, um, and I'm going to do a couple of episodes on the VA, but talking to service members, I've had, um, you're probably about the most positive with the, as you were going through, you, you were put through the VA system, you know, before you actually left. Yes. But everybody, a lot of people that I've spoken to, there's some, something missing there. There is a hatred of the VA. And a lot of it stems from how the VA was run mm -hmm. and how the VA is trying to fix their image, which should have been done 30 years ago, if you ask me. Yeah. But, I mean, I understand it's too little too late for some. Yeah. But they are, based on the communications that I've had with, even with the director from Eastern Colorado uh, VA here and also his deputy director, they, they're, they're wanting to make changes for the better, at least for this area. And based on the PACT Act being, being passed by Congress, I mean, and everybody in Washington, that was that was a big plus because I mean hell we have that that goes all the way back I mean as, as far back as you can think mm -hmm. for veterans that are still alive especially during Vietnam because of Agent Orange and all yeah. that. Yeah, I have a uncle in North Carolina. Uncle George uh, suffers from the effects of Agent Orange, mm -hmm. and um, I think a day at the day at the VA for him, and unfortunately it takes the day. Yeah, uh, he doesn't live close to the VA, so there you got travel there as well. Yes, um, it's. And at his age, it takes a lot out of him. Yes. You know, and um, I just, it baffles my mind that um, somebody who's fought, fought in a war would have to go and jump through hoops and repeatedly ask for certain things that they need to have. So yes. um, it's very sad. But um, I am going to do a couple of episodes moving forward on the VA because I've heard so much, you know, and there's obviously things that really need to be fixed there. Yes. Yeah. Moving forward, I want to talk to you about the Veterans Beer Club in yes. Colorado. Yes. And then you see that brings a, the, the veterans and beer, those two words are really <laughs> all you need, you know. Um, now, you're the chapter president in Colorado Springs. Yes, I am. Tell me how the Veterans Beer Club came to. Well, so it all got to start in San Diego in 2016 by three prior service individuals. And they have since branched out all across the United States, mm -hmm. where my best friend Aaron, who was the founder of the Colorado Springs, he reached out and said, hey, 
what do we need to do to have this? And uh, long story short, they basically said, why don't you have a chapter already? There's tons of veteran-owned breweries in your area. Mm -hmm. So he, uh, he, he took the torch, and in February of 2020, we had our first, we had our first meeting. Okay. And he was expecting a very small turnout. Turns out there were a lot of people that heard about it. I was not a part of the group at the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't come in until I think it was April or May of 2020. But he started in 2020. COVID kicked off in March. And he literally did, uh, Aaron did CPR as the chapter president for two years, just keeping the group going. Yeah. And that's how we have, I mean, I took over as one of the ambassadors to help him out because he saw it was growing and growing and growing. So he's like, I need help, guys. So he, he took on three ambassadors. Uh, and in January of 2022, uh, he asked me, he goes, I am burnout. And also hitting the VBC headquarters would like me to be a part of the West region. Mm -hmm and be kind of the middleman between the chapters in the West and headquarters. Now, what is the mission of the Veterans Bay Club? So we have a three-part mission statement. First and foremost, it's to help vets find jobs. Okay. And that is one of our key goals. That is one of the key pushes with national, uh, with national headquarters as well. And we try to help as much as we can with veterans trying to find any kind of employment, whether it be ditch digging to, hey, let's go fly a satellite. Okay. Depending on your experience and what you really want to do. And after that, we have camaraderie. Camaraderie is number two, where it really encompasses almost everything that we do. Yeah. It's something that we have been in, uh, have indoctrinated into us due to the military, and it helps a lot of veterans just really get out of some shells that some may not ever do. Yeah. But if they can show up once a month and shoot the shit with another fellow vet that may have a similar story, great. Yeah. Uh, laugh, joke, tell the lies, I mean the truths of your military <laughs> career. <laughs> but last but not least, and just as important as the other two, is community outreach. And that encompasses a lot. It encompasses our mental health push, it encompasses because two of my biggest pushes, one is to help get the word more out about mental health and making our, the vets, in our, at least in our group and whomever they may speak to, it's like, guys, we're not in the military anymore. Yeah. We're not going to beat you down with all these stupid training programs that never work. Mm -hmm. And if you have issues, just talk. Yeah. I mean, if I literally said in the... Uh, in the January to kick off this new year, I was talking about it. I was like, you know what? If you need to f talk, just fucking let us know. Yeah. yeah. And you, you can see the eyes is going, holy shit, he means it. Yeah. Uh, either that or they're going, he cussed. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not a word they haven't heard before. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> but it also, the other big push for me is to get spouses. Yeah. Because the spouse network is a very hard nut to crack. It is. Uh, you being a spouse, you yeah, know this. I do. Especially in uh, naval, uh, nav, uh, spec warfare. Yes. But I want to try to dispel the, the the myth of, hey, it's a veterans beer club. Honey, here's your kitchen pass. Go have fun. Yeah, yeah. Because there's beer in the word. Uh -huh. So 
I have made it my point to try to reach out to all the spouses. I actually work with the MSCC, which is the Military Career, um, um, yeah, Military Spouses Career Coalition. Mm -hmm. This was run by the city, and I work uh, I work with Jesse Kimber, who runs this currently, mm -hmm. and she helps try to get the word out as much as as much as possible plus i reach out to the as when i can i reach out to the taps on base yeah all the transition programs and just on our uh, social media platforms too saying hey ladies come out yeah. i mean or just spouses in general yeah. I mean, because they're not always ladies so yeah but we also try to do like toys for tots we did our first toys for tots uh, this last december when we linked up with denver mm -hmm. doing a joint venture because denver is one of uh, the two uh, veterans beer clubs here in colorado mm -hmm. and every year we try to link up and do some kind of uh donations to it to help make sure somebody has a good christmas yeah now i've been to two of the meetings in san diego yes um, I did not know what to expect when it said uh, when I read Veterans Beer Club. Mm -hmm. I did think to myself, this is just for veterans. They're just going to drink beer and they're calling it a club. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is a myth. <laughs> and I was, um, I, I went and um, I didn't speak to anybody. I went to observe. Yes. Now, there were quite a few spouses uh, there with with their men, mm -hmm. you know, um, or they may have been the service member and, and the yes. husband may have been the spouse. But I do remember at one point thinking, okay, well, this is kind of like a quiet scene. And then I blinked and the place, the brewery was full. Yes. And I noticed that they had a table outside. Um, and I think there was, um, there was uh, some, impl um, some company there that was, you know, ready, willing and able to talk to guys mm -hmm. about, you know, a potential um, work and um, I actually thought this is a really cool way especially calling it the Veterans Bear <laughs> Club to be honest with you because observing these guys and gals in there it was very much the camaraderie everybody nobody's shy you know everybody was talking to you know the person next to them mm -hmm. different branches were in there so and I think it was probably one of the first times that I've noticed that there wasn't any there was the, the, the general, you know, talking shit about what branch you're in, what of branch course. I'm in. Because, yeah, you know, but it, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Yes. And, and I actually, the reason I went to the second one was because I thought, well, I like the first one. I'll get it off to the second one as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and they had them in a different brewery all the time. I knew that it was happening because I saw... Um, I don't know, somebody had emailed me a piece about the Veterans Beer Club. How do you, apart from, you know, using Jesse Kimber to get the word out to spouses, how do you guys get the word out to vets? So, it we have several different ways. Our social media director, she has streamlined the process for our Facebook a, a lot more. She's also streamlined, actually started our Instagram. Mm -hmm. And we also reach out on LinkedIn and email okay. uh, email we try not to we try not to bar, bombard everybody except for just like just notifications saying hey you need to make sure that um, there's a, an event coming up if you want if you would like to come out we'd love to have you register get yourself a free ticket on a uh, eventbrite and show on up okay but we try to get the word out either by word of mouth a lot of people hear about us through others who've been yeah and they come out and they're going hey i heard about this thing 
or they're at a transition class or they go to a job fair where they may hear about us. Yeah. And uh, it also helps that one of my ambassadors currently, uh, Sunny Schaefer, is, uh, she works with, uh, actually works for, sorry, uh, Hiring Our Heroes. Oh, nice. So she's able to get the word out to all her fellows that, hey, you got to show up to this event too because you might link up with a, a, a potential employer. Mm-hmm. And we typically, depending on if they show up as a, either as a veteran or if they show up as, as a um, hiring authority, Mm-hmm. then we may have five to sometimes 15 recruiters floating around. Wow. So do the recruiters, do you let the company know beforehand, hey, we want you here, this is what we're doing, or do you just tell them, hey, if you, you know, just show up kind of deal? A lot of it is just show up. Okay. We've had companies reach out to us and say, hey, what do we need to do to show up this? We need to bring a booth, we need to bring this. And we tell them, no, it's very low threat. Mm-hmm. No booth is needed. And we just say, just mingle. Yeah. You, and you'll have a, you have a little name tag. Yeah. And people look at it and go, oh, you're you're here with I don't know, say Boeing. Yeah. What do you what do you do with Boeing? Oh, I'm a recruiter. Oh. Okay. And so we leave it very low threat. Everybody has a beer. Everybody gets socialized, and we tell them like you may or may not get anything yeah. at, at our events, but you're going to build a lot of links uh, to and new connections. Yeah, I think it's a an awesome place for networking. And, you know, and somebody that I did speak to at the second event that I went to had told me that they'd been going to these events a couple of times, you know, mm-hmm. then maybe three or four times they've gone. And they obviously connected with people. And those people remembered them. The other vets remembered them. So when something came up at their workplace, they're like, hey, Fred, you know, we, we've got a position open now. Yes. So it, it's a, it's a, I think it's a great little avenue for conversation, um, like you said, for camaraderie. And just, just a, it was a very easy space to be in. That was the other thing that I noticed. It was very easy to be able to go in there and just relax and have your beer. There, there was no drama. There was no, you yeah. know, table set up or anything. It was like a, it was like a, it was like a party, in a, a low key party, it, a very low key party. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes, and and that's and that's how we want to keep it. Okay. Now, how often do you have these events? We have ours once a month. The only months that we typically don't are November. And that's usually since our since our events happen on the last Wednesday of the month. Yeah. Um, usually Thanksgiving falls, but this year we're, we're trying to figure out if we should or shouldn't since the last Wednesday is after Thanksgiving. Yeah. So everybody can show up with their with their full bellies and just go. <laughs> okay, I just need a, I need an after uh, after Thanksgiving drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, besides the Veterans Beer Club, you also have a full time job. Yes. And what is your full-time job? I am a government contractor. The easiest way to describe what I do is project integration, project management. Okay. So do you ever have any spare time? I try to squeeze in as much as I can. I did I did not expect the um, Veterans Beer Club to take up as much time as it does, but I'm glad that it does because I'm enjoying every bit of it. My full-time job is picking up. Uh, my actual contract job is picking up a lot uh-huh. uh, as Space Force s- starts figuring out more of what they really want to do and how they want to utilize uh, people like myself. Okay. Let's talk about Space Force. 
because the space <laughs> symposium is going on. Um, I freely admit that I don't really know anything about Space Force. Um, and I know there's some things that you obviously can't tell me. But for people out there listening, what does Space Force do? So Space Force is nothing that's really new other than just the fact it became its own branch. I mean, okay. uh, people might disagree with me on this, but Air Force Space or F Space is uh, more generally known. Uh, Air Force Space has been around for quite a while. Okay. Uh, U.S. Space Command was around long before as well. It's just they got rid of it, moved everything to F Space, and the Air Force has been managing it uh, ever since. Then uh, President Trump came out and uh, said, nope, here, we have, a new, we have a new branch of the military. Okay. So everybody was kind of like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're off to the races now. Yeah. And... Space handles a lot more than just launching things up into space or just watching the stars. Okay. And I will plainly admit, I had no clue of all the things that go on until I started working the job. Okay. And it's been exciting, challenging, frustrating, and fun all at the same time, trying to figure all this out and trying to figure out how I can, how my job can help the larger down the larger uh, the bigger picture okay so you kind of sort of answered my question so I'm just gonna because <laughs> I know again you can only say so much so Space Force looks at space looks at the sky the space and just make sure everything's good so Space Force is a support I mean in short at least at the moment it is a very supportive agency Okay. It helps the air, sea, and ground warfighter okay. with the space systems that they may need, whether it be a hey, uh, GPS, whether it be hey, there's bad guy at this location, yeah. and you can't get a drone on them. Um, I mean, to doing all sorts of other things. Yeah. I mean, offensive, defensive stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot more that's happening up there than it just being you know the final frontier. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. So now it was Air Force Space. Yes. Now it is a completely separate branch. Yes. Okay. Um, going back to your spare time. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> because <laughs> you didn't answer that question. Um, what do you do in your spare time? The little spare time that you have, what do you do? I try to make sure that I... So I learned a long time ago that... Procrastination is not a, a total enemy. Mm -hmm. Certain things can be put off for a later date, just as long as it, everything's managed mm -hmm. properly. So I like to try to manage my time for personal time by mountain biking. Try to I ski as often as I can, and just I try to hike as often as I can. Most of my time these days is trying to make sure I spend as much time with my kids who don't live with me here in Texas. So mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate that I can fly to see them or I fly them up here so they can, one, see me and also the rest of their family that lives up here. Are they young or are they older? Uh, they are uh, 11 and 17. So. Okay. Now, 17-year-old, uh, uh, do they have any interest in joining the service? He has talked about it. Okay. He has talked about it, but he's a typical teenager and will probably wait to the last minute and make up his mind. Okay. 
So. And he knows, Is he? have you spoken to him about your career, the ins and outs, what mm-hmm. what you've done? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, how many deployments did the 17-year-old experience? He experienced two. Uh, well, with all the classes, because, I mean, you being a... Um, a special operations uh, special operator's wife you know there's tons of training goes along with it too that you get sent away for as well so in the seven actually yes almost seven years that i was with my oldest um before i retired from the military i was probably gone a year and a half almost two years of it okay now did you re- you relocated with your kids, or did you the kids stay in one place when you had to relocate? So I I retired out of Clovis, New Mexico, or as I call it, God's toilet, <laughs> and Cannon Air Force Base is there. Okay. Where the base is nice, the area not so much, and they moved just before they moved prior to my retirement um, with their mother. Okay. to actually to Shepherd uh-huh. uh, in Wichita Falls, Texas. So I, re- I temporarily re- relocated to Texas uh, during my job hunt and just downtime between going from active duty, terminal leave to finding a job. I moved to Texas just for a little while. I got to see him a little bit more. And then it was as painful as it was. I had to continue my own mental growth. Yeah. And some people don't agree with this uh, a lot of people who know me understand why i had to do this but i had to come up here and this is as far as i could be away from my kids yeah i mean i had a job offer in hawaii doing similar things what i was doing in the military just for more of a commercial aspect making a fortune but uh-huh. you know a fortune in hawaii is nothing yeah and i was like it's not about the money it's being as close to my kids, kids. as yeah. possible absolutely so do you think that um you being in the military has affected your kids yes and has it affected them in in what way has it affected them they think so my youngest my blaze is his name and my youngest got to um, actually both my kids for a little while i would my last office job was planning helping plan uh, special operations exercises training exercises So I got to work with a lot of uh, foreign, uh, foreign soft teams, plus uh, Navy SEALs and rain, uh, 75th Ranger Regiment. I mean, you, you, pick a, you pick a soft, and I mean, I probably yeah. worked with them at least once. Yeah. Well, my kids got to hang out with, in my opinion, I mean, if you ask me, some of the deadliest people in the world, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't know it because, like, the foreign soft guys that would come, I would throw, like, to make them feel more welcome. It's like, hey, come on out to my house. We're having a big cookout. Mm-hmm. And everything's on me. You just bring your own beer. Yeah. And we'd party like rock stars. <laughs> Eat yeah. some amazing food. And my kids got to hang around with all of them. Uh-huh. And socialize with them. When the SEALs came through, my oldest, unfortunately, was in Texas at the time. So he didn't, he didn't get to hang out with the SEALs. But the CBs and also some of the SEALs would make sure to say, hey, Bring your son out next time, and we'll let him play with the uh, the mat V's, and let him yeah. go climb on all the on, on all the equipment. And how cool! And I mean, so he got to experience a lot of things. And he's like, I want to be a seal. I'm like, okay. <laughs> God bless him. But they also saw the negative effects 
of being a special operator. Yeah. Uh, even even from the air side, where um, divorce is a thing. Yeah. And that also had an. I mean, due to the military, it had an effect. Yeah, I think um, relationships are hard. Full stop. Yes. And then when you have a relationship where you have a part-time partner, you have distance. Um, you know, it's almost like you you're here for a bit, you're gone. Um, those relationships are twice as hard. And I know that um, they say that in within my community, you know, divorce rate is up there in the nineties. Then two years after um, retirement, it shoots up to like 98, 99. But I honestly think that talking to, you know, the great service members that I've spoken to, I think military-wide. Yes. I mean, it, it, you've got to be a special couple to put up with each other's shit, all that distance, be a little thick-skinned yep. in order to... To, to still be together, you know? Yes. I mean, it, it's it's a job in itself. It is, and it's, I mean, as we all know, any good relationship relies on communication, relies on trust, relies on communication, relies on communication, <laughs> communication. <laughs> yeah. But as I tell both of my kids, and I tell them flat out, I was like, this is not a shot at your mom, mm -hmm. and others might listen and go, oh, it was. And it's like, no, it's really not. Anybody who's been in the military and has been married or is married knows, especially to a good spouse, knows that to be a military spouse, you have to be a certain type of woman. You have yeah. to be a certain type of strong yeah. as a woman yeah. or, or a man. Because a lot of men go through, it's like, oh, my, my wife's gone again. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to be a special type of person. You have to be a strong person to be a military dependent in general. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I completely agree. I mean, I've, I had my first when my husband was on deployment. You know, um, my father passed away. Um, these, uh, we called it the deployment gnome. You know, I had the deployment gnome. If shit was going to go down, it, it was going to be me, you know. Um, <laughs> my water heater took a shit the day before Turkey Day, you know. Um, I had to replace it myself. I mean, you become very self-sufficient, yes. you know. YouTube is a great thing. I mean, I YouTubed everything, put my garbage disposal in, got all my shit squared away. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's and it can be very lonely. And I think it can be lonely for both parties. Yes, it can. And I tell spouses... I think, and you know, I mean, I don't know shit, but I think <laughs> that um, the person that is upping and leaving their home comforts, it has to be harder on that individual. Is it hard on us? Yeah, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to lay on my couch. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm, I've got the con. I'm going to watch whatever I'm watching. You know, um, it's the service member is the one that's outside of their comfort yeah yes so the military does what they can when you're in a deployed location to make sure that you keep your sanity as best you can yeah and so they have lots of programs as uh, anybody who's listening who's military knows there's programs out there there's events they do certain things on bases to make sure that hey you don't go fucking crazy yeah it's when you go home back to your clue or tent or whatever it may be when you're not working it's the downtime yeah the downtime is when that that was the hardest for me because all i'm thinking about is 
I'd rather be home. Yeah. I'd rather be arguing with my, I mean, arguing, laughing, I mean, crying, whatever it may be mm-hmm. with my family than be in this fucking shithole that I'm stuck in right yeah. now. When you signed on the dotted line, did you ever think, I'd, I'm going to be in a fucking shithole? Yes. Okay, so you knew that wasn't a surprise? Nope. Okay, because I know that some people I've spoken to signed on the dotted line um, and didn't think that we'd ever get a war, you know? Well, yeah, there's still, I mean, even to this day. Yeah. That there are still a lot of people like, oh, we're, never, we're, we're not going back to war again. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> really? Bless your heart. <laughs> so, again, yeah, so I lost my track um, train of thought right there because we were talking about spouses. See, I do this on every podcast and I don't stop <laughs> recording because, hey, it's real people, it's real shit, man. Um, we were talking about, what were we talking about? Uh, See, we, we completely digressed. <laughs> we, we totally did. Uh, we were talking about, let's go back to the Veterans Bear Club. Yes. Okay. Um, so going back to the Veterans Bear Club and you asked the spouses to come, have you been successful in getting quite a few spouses? Yes, actually, I have. Okay. Um, due to initially probably with the partnership with the city and just helping get the word out a little bit more, mm-hmm. but as we've grown We've also had a lot of spouses who are also employ- uh, recruiters that come out and they're going, oh, I'm going to use this for two things. Yeah. Recruit and also this. So then they tell their their uh, their spouse friends and then it's a, it's just a uh, snowball effect after that. That's actually really smart. I didn't think of that. So spouses are going there and there's an opportunity for them to be recruited too. Yes. I, I think that that's, yes. I was going to. Killing a bird with, uh, uh, what's that saying? I killed two birds with one stone. You know, that's not PC anymore. Oh, well. Yeah, somebody wrote it somewhere, that's not PC anymore. Apparently it's, um, you know, it's animal cruelty or something like that. I mean. Okay, okay. And it goes on and on. Um, (laughs) Somebody that's just signed on at the dotted line Uh, going into the Air Force, what is your advice? Basic training is a game. Plain and simple, it's a game. I didn't, I mean, it was told to me and I'm kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll figure it out when, when I get there. It is. The whole military is a game. It's just how well do you play it? Okay. Do you want to be the person who is book smart and not work smart? Or do you want to be the one who's work smart, knows how to take care of their people, just may not be the, the smartest when it comes to studying for promotion? Okay. Um, I was the latter. Okay. Every so often you come across one that's good at both. Mm-hmm. And one of my ambassadors, uh, Gabe Eel, she's actually one of those individuals. She shot up through the ranks very fast, but she also knew how to take care of her people, knew how to do things, and also kick ass at her job, too. So, um, I mean, she retired at 30 years and was, I mean, retired E9 for uh-huh. the Air Force. and But, yeah, it's all a game. Now... With when you joined, you were how old? Uh, 21, yeah, 21, I think like 20, a little over 21. Okay, now some people come straight out of high school and they sign on the dotted line. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your thoughts on that? As in, like, uh, do, they, I, do I think it's a good idea? Yeah, I mean, do you think they're, they're mature enough mentally to, to, to go into yes. this? Yeah, 
And as long as the military continues its progression mm -hmm. growth for individuals and the individual coming into the military is going to go, oh, I know I'm going to be shit on every single day mm -hmm. until I get to that rank and knowledge and experience where I'm going to shit on the person that's now coming in. Okay. I mean, it's, that's, that's just how it works. There's a progression of growth yeah. that you have to achieve just like in any, I mean, well, should be in any company, but yeah. there's always progression that has to happen. And these kids that come in, they're, they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. So they rely on hopefully good leaders. And I mean, I know mentor, mentors is the, is the phrase of the day, yeah. but it relies on good, solid personal leaders yeah. and personal work. I mean, everything leaders to go here, come with me. I'm going to teach you how to do this. You're also going to rely on that person, that person, that person, that person, that person to show you how to be in the military as well. Now, going through the ranks, when I had my business on base, and I don't know if it's the same in the Air Force, so this might be just one of those crazy-ass questions, but I remember everybody going over to the galley one morning because they were sitting there, uh, sitting a test because they were, um, I don't know, for argument's sake, uh, they were for senior chief or for chief, they were sitting the test to make rank. But then somebody told me that, um, well, you know, there's only like 50 spots, but 100 people or 150 people, um, 150 chiefs are sitting this test and there's only 50 yes. senior chief spots. Yep. Is that how it is in yes. the Air Force? Uh, and that's mandated by Congress. Oh, is it? I did not know that. Yeah, or, no, yeah Congress, if I'm, yeah, if I'm correct. So all... It's been a while. <laughs> okay, so, so where... The test scores matter, mm -hmm. um, and your evals yep. matter. So, what if you're just a shitty test taker? Because I know those people. Yes, I was. I am one of those. Okay. And there are programs out there that are national that you can actually. That I, I don't know if the military would would really let you do it. Uh -huh. But there are programs out there for shitty test takers like myself, which I didn't find out until after I got out. Oh, that okay. yeah, you can actually be a part of whatever this whatever this program is, and it'll give you more time to take the test, more time to do certain things. Okay, and I mean it's almost being like it's almost like an individual who's on a five hundred one, uh, sorry, five hundred four program in in school. Uh huh. Yeah. Where they have certain uh, certain things that they have to do for that individual to help them. Okay, but they don't have that in the military. You just go in and sit they, the test. I mean. Again, I'm not sure if they will they they would allow it, uh -huh. but I didn't know about it until after I got out. But for shitty like shitty test takers like myself, if I mean, when I was really putting the effort in, I'd study for six months, and I knew the books forward and backwards. Yeah, a lot of my issues were my performance reports because you asked, did I ever get butt heads? <laughs> and sarcastically, I said, no, never. <laughs> Well, a lot of my issues revolved around the fact that I would stand up for my troops. I would yeah. stand up for the people who worked for me. Uh -huh. And some people didn't like it. Okay. Um, now, granted, just like everybody, you make also dumb mistakes. Yeah. But for the most part, like one individual who somehow continued to make rank and I did not, uh -huh. he came to Canon where I was the resource advisor, basically financial advisor, but also bought it 
sorry, handled a lot of the uh, commander's funds where uh, a loggy for the Navy, uh-huh. where he came in from one of the other commands where they basically just kind of, they expect to get all these things. Yeah. And I'm building a brand new unit. Yeah. And this individual is like, hey, I'd like to get all my stuff. And I'm going, how many, are, are you deploying? Nope. Are you doing any of this? Nope. Okay, so you've got the uniform that you need to wear. Yes. Get out. <laughs> and this, and the reason, the reason I handled it like this was because my counterpart was consistently getting bugged on a weekly basis. Hey, yeah. I need my stuff. I need all my stuff. All my, yeah. all, all my gear. All my gear. All my gear. On a, just repeatedly. And so I get back to my deployment, and I meet the guy for the first time. While I'm downrange and I'm, I'm hearing all these things that before I get back, I said, I'll handle it when I get home. Yeah. So I get back off terminal leave and he comes in and asks me. He goes, hey, welcome back, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. What do you need? And he goes, I want all my stuff. I was like, I was like, no, you aren't deploying. You aren't doing this. You aren't doing this. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. There are people that have been here since day one when this was a detachment that still haven't got their stuff and they've been here two years. You're not getting your stuff. Not unless the commander comes and tells me directly, since I work for him. Yeah. Not you, even though you're the superintendent. Uh-huh. You're not getting it. Yeah. So he went and talked to the commander. Commander told him, "You're not getting it." Oh, there you go. He goes, "Jason said no. You're not getting it." Yeah. He was not happy about that. That's what started that at my last base. That's what started the uh, butting of heads. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I told him because he's like, "Man, I just want one of the watches and all this." I was like, you came from this major command. You've been handed things way too much. Yeah. That's not how this works. You're, you are too needy. Mm-hmm. Go, just go away. In, well, in many words. Well, I mean, that told him. In, in a lot of ways, it did. Yeah. I mean, it, he had to fire me, or I wouldn't say fire. He, he moved me to a new job after a year before he got all this stuff. And he made the new person give it, make, uh, make sure oh he got it to him. Oh, my gosh. Literally, that's how it worked. Oh, wow. How many times are you allowed to take this test to make rank before they say, okay, you've taken it too many times, dude. You just, yeah, yeah, not making it. Many is necessary. Really? I, so I studied for E6 and tested. I took me eight years from E5 to 6 and never made E7. Because you're a shitty test taker. Yeah. Okay. And also my performance reports, because of the fact, yeah. as I grew up more, uh-huh. I was more concerned with taking care of the people who work for me, uh-huh. trying to make sure my mental health was focused on my personal life as well, uh-huh. to where it didn't affect the job. Yeah. Okay. Now, the Veterans Bear Club. Yes. Do you know, well, how long has this chapter been going? You said it just started just before the COVID. Yeah, it's so that we've been going uh, almost three and a half years. Do you keep track of how many people, how many veterans you've managed to find jobs? That's, I mean, we've, we've tried. Uh-huh. Um, we're trying to figure out new ways to do this. I know we do have a success rate because yeah. of the partnerships that we have with, say, Mount Carmel Veteran Services Center here in town. Uh-huh. We also work with uh, hiring, I mean, hiring our heroes, obviously, with Sunny, and the transition programs. We also work with Homefront Military Network to not just 
I mean, with jobs, but with other with other aspects. But we have, if I had to make a wild ass guess, mm-hmm. and I do mean a real big wag on this one, probably about a thirty five percent success rate. If I, I mean, then that's without no real substantiating yeah. data, I because think- we've asked, and we get some answers, but. Not really much. Yeah, I guess it's it. It must be hard to monitor exactly. But thirty five percent in such a short time, because it's really been a short time since you've been operating, and then you take into consideration the COVID. Uh, I think th- I think that those are good numbers. Again, it's a wag. Yeah. But if it is if it is a accurate one, then I would agree, especially yeah. over a three year time span. Yeah. Uh, time span. Sometimes I think to myself, you know. If there's one veteran out there that got a job as a result of the Veterans Bay Club, you know, that's awesome. I mean, it just takes one person. And, you know, like you said earlier, word of mouth, it, it is going to spread. You yes. Know. Um, we, how can people get in touch with you? So we have the, I mean, the people who just need to like, like reach out to me, they can usually go and join the group on our socials. Okay. And they can reach out to... Uh, either myself or one of my team members and ask questions or I mean just by reaching out on direct messaging okay now what is your social media media handles uh, so we have a link tree that links up with that has all of our uh, has our Instagram Facebook LinkedIn and of course has our email address on there as well okay and how do they get to that to find the information so usually it's it's somebody uh, if we don't have one of our brochures like like I handed you last yeah, night. If yeah. if I ha- if I'm uh, out someplace and if I have them on me, then it's like here, uh, yeah. take one, um, go check it out. But we have them set out at our events, and Mount Carmel yeah, usually has them when we send out the event uh, notifications. Okay. There's a flyer that says, "Hey, here's this month's event. Okay. Here's the Linktree QR code, and also the Eventbrite link, uh, the Eventbrite QR code to get, register for a ticket." And your website? What is the website, Earl? So that one is uh, managed by National Headquarters, and it's. Uh, sh- I think it's uh, Veterans Beer Club or VBC.com, I think it is off the top of my head. Okay. I know know they're trying to rework it. Okay. This is what I was told. But if you just put in Veterans Beer Club. Oh, you can Google it and find it. Yeah, you can Google it and come up. Is there anything that you would have liked me to ask you that I didn't? No, actually, I think you've kind of hit everything. I mean, hit the nail on the head for virtually everything I could think of. I mean, for those who are listening, if you are in an area where you haven't found one of these veterans beer clubs, take take a look. If you're in San Diego, where uh, where Surrender is, yeah, then uh, headquarters is out there. They they do a lot of stuff when it comes to, I mean, especially with the rugby team that's out there now. Yeah, San Diego Legion. Yes, that's right. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, find us. Yeah, we are. We're willing to talk. We're willing to. We're willing to laugh, joke, have a beer with you. Come on out. Well, what I'm going to do is on my website and on my social media, I'm going to put the the VBC logo as well, okay. so people can click onto that, get through, and find out where the locations are, and come out and visit you guys because it's um, it is one of the easier, um, easier feeling and easy to attend veteran events that I've been to. Because, you know, again, it's a bunch of veterans, you know, and their spouses 
in a bar, having a little social, um, networking, just catching up, and I, uh, and I think it is just a, I think it's a fabulous idea. Oh, thank you. I, I, I really do. Um, I will be going to them on a regular basis just to observe and talk to some of the guys because they were all very easy to talk to. Well, it's actually here this week. I mean, if you're here next week, you could have showed up uh, and actually experienced one of ours firsthand. Well, listen, I have to come back to Colorado Springs for a couple of things, but I'm going to come back when the, the beer club is going on because okay. I'd love to come down there, talk to a couple of the guys. You know, um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I think you will really enjoy it, and especially, I mean, if you were coming back at the end of uh, at the end of May, we, you'd really enjoy it, especially if you're into indoor skydiving. So, oh, <laughs> look at this! I went past the iFly fly yes. uh, place today. Talking of skydiving, have you ever skydived? Yes, I have. How many times? I've only done it once, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But then again, I was also in a really good location, uh-huh. and it was over North Shore in Hawaii. Oh wow! Yes. It was quite beautiful. Yeah, I, well, I can imagine. I've done it twice, tandem, mm-hmm. obviously. I mean, I couldn't do it now because I just the thought of sitting on a, such a small aircraft <laughs> freaks me out a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It made me feel like I was, you know, king shit. Yes. <laughs> I mean, some people don't enjoy it. I mean, I, I had, God, it seemed like forever, just free fall. Yeah. And the only part I was ever worried about was just being dangled out of the airplane because I'm much bigger than the than the uh, experienced guy I'm strapped to. So he's dangling me out the door and I'm going, well, that's the ground. Why are you down there? <laughs> Thankfully, the, the two guys that I jumped with both were bigger than me. <laughs> Jason, it has been nothing short of a pleasure having you on today. I hope, well, no, I'm going to tell you, I am going to come back and do one of the Veteran Bear Club nights in Colorado Springs because I just have to now. Well, you have an open invite. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. I'm going to put your website uh, logo onto my website and my social media. And um, if anybody's got any questions about the Veterans Bear Club, you're just going to go to the social media, click on the logo. You'll be able to find out all the locations, the closest one for you to attend. And remember, if you're a veteran or a spouse out there, tell somebody, take them along, have a great night out. It'll be great networking. My name's Sarinda Good. I've been your host. This is The Good Show, and tune in next week.